Welcome to Journey Through the Bible with Joshua Smith. The Bible is the single most important book in history. It is the very words of God put on paper. In this podcast, we will walk through the pages of His Word as we seek to understand His message to us. In Isaiah 55, 11, God says, My word that proceeds from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please, and it will prosper where I send it. As we study His word, He will accomplish within us what He desires. That is our prayer. That is the journey. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to Journey Through the Bible with Joshua Smith. This is Josh. I'm so excited that you have joined me on this episode of Journey Through the Bible. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word holiness? Did you know that holiness is still important? Did you know that holiness is still God's standard of living for his people? That's what we're going to talk about today in this episode of Journey Through the Bible. It's a special episode. It's a message that I preached uh, back in May uh, at Life Church in Winburg, Pennsylvania. I was there uh, for Pastor Appreciation Day and had the opportunity to bring this message that God laid in my heart. And so I wanted to bring it to you in this podcast. If this is something you enjoy, I encourage you to share on your social media channels, share with your friends, talk about it with your friends. Um, Get the word out, because as we teach God's word, God's word goes forth, and his word never returns void. I also want to remind you, you can find the internet home of Journey Through the Bible at revival-america.com. That is revival-america.com. And now, here is my message on holiness. Now, I tried really hard to uh, have a message that kind of pertained to past appreciation, but I couldn't get away from this. You see it on the screen, holiness. I, I, I couldn't get away from, from it because God laid it on my heart, and so I couldn't get away from it, so here we are. Now, when you see this word on the screen, right, what, what, what's the first thing that goes, comes across your mind? Right. Maybe for some of us, the holiness hairdo. This is supposed to be. This is supposed to be like a little like animation, like three thing. But I guess it just weren't, weren't able to get that. So you know, some some of us, it's the the holiness hairdo that we may have seen in the past. Sometimes it's it's this list of of do's or don'ts, right? Like no jewelry, uh, don't go to the movie theater, uh, whatever whatever it may be. There's a uh, there's a church in North Carolina. Uh, it's more of a cult than a church. So yeah. But anyway, they have a list of 145 lists of do's and don'ts for for their congregants. I've picked out some of my favorites here. Uh, don't eat turkey on Thanksgiving. We're all done there, right? <laughs> don't play air guitar. Don't play hide and seek. Sorry, kids. Uh, don't play music without singing the words. My, my question is, like, is a musical interlude okay? Like, I mean, it is, you know, I don't know. How many measures is okay? I don't, I don't know. Don't whistle. I apologize to Pat for that one in the first service. I'll do it again. Uh, <laughs> don't let your children make animal sounds. Uh, don't let children play with camping toys. Uh, don't go hunting. 
And this one got me where it hurts, right? Don't wear cargo pants or cargo shorts. I love my cargo shorts, so. <laughs> this brings to us just the difficulty in talking about holiness. Because the temptation and what we want to do is we want to make the outward manifestation of holiness behavior the central aspect of holiness. In reality, that's not, and we'll talk about that this morning. Now, I've always been a rule-centric person. You give me a, a set of rules, boom, boom, boom. I will follow them. That's, that's, and if you try to veer from them, I'm going to be like, oh, I don't know if we should do that. You know, it's like, it's like you know, grow, growing up, had a playground in the backyard, and, and Josiah taking a bike on top of the slide, and you know, trying to, trying to I, I don't think we should do that, Josiah. You know, he was okay. You know, I, just, I guess I just didn't get to enjoy that moment. Uh, I guess I was like... <laughs> Right, but that, that is the temptation in holiness is to make holiness all about these lists of do's and don'ts and all about this outward manifestation, this behavior. Well, we're going we're gonna to combat three lies. There are three lies of holiness that I want to combat this morning. The first lie is that holiness is not important. And here, here, here's what's happened throughout the years, say 50, 60 years ago, Right, holiness, holiness, and that's what and it was. It was this list of do's or don'ts, right? This don't wear jewelry, don't do this, don't do that, do this, do that. And we responded like, you know what? That, that's it's not exactly scriptural. There's some not scriptural stuff there. We're not, you know, we, we're not exactly grace-based. And so what we've done is we've swung the pendulum so far over here. It's like grace, grace, grace. And it's almost come to this point where we think holiness does not matter at all. The truth is, holiness still is important. And we're going to combat this lie this morning with Scripture. The second lie is, I do not have a role to play in my holiness. Jesus, oh, it's automatic. Right? Jesus is going to automatically you know, force, force me to change my behavior, force me to change this. We do have a role to play in our holiness. And we'll talk about that this morning as well. The third lie that I want to combat this morning is that holiness is all about behavior. It's all about, or it starts at behavior. These three lies we'll combat this morning, but I want to give you the truth of holiness, and it is this. The truth of holiness is it's not, does not start with, it's not about our behavior, it is about our nature. It is not centered around my behavior. It is centered around my nature. We see this throughout the New Testament. We are admonished time and time again to walk in the Spirit. Put off the old way. Put off the old man. Take off the old. Put on the new. Walk not in the flesh, but walk in the Spirit. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open them, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, or you can follow along on the screen. It'll be obviously be up there as well. But we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, all the way through uh, the first verse of chapter 7. And it says this, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. 
As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Can we pray? Lord, I pray that you would just impart your word to our hearts. Lord, that you would anoint me, not for my sake, but for the sake of your word. That you would hide me behind the cross, that what I say is what you want to say. You would open our hearts, open up the eyes of our spirit to hear, to see, and to receive with joy what you are telling us and what you're saying to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now here in this passage in 2 Corinthians, essentially we have three commands from Paul. We have a command to not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. We have a command to cleanse ourselves and a command to bring holiness to perfection. Perfecting holiness or bring holiness to completion in the ESV. And so that's what we're going to talk about. That's how we're going to frame this this morning. So Paul begins with this idea, this command to don't, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And right off the bat, we get this sense of what holiness is. And that is separateness. We see this idea of holiness as separateness throughout the Old Testament. If you look in Exodus and Leviticus and those first, really those first five books of Scripture, we see people and objects being labeled as holy unto the Lord. These were objects and these were people that were separated from the common man. They were consecrated for the use of God. And so we see from the very beginning of Scripture this idea that holiness is a separation. There should be, there is a distinction between the people of God and the people of the world. We should look different. There should be some distinction, some separateness between those of us who believe in Jesus. Jesus and the rest of humanity. Holiness is separateness. He tells us, don't be unequally yoked, which literally means tied to one who does not share the same spirit. Now, what, what is the spirit? The spirit is the inner man. It is who we are at the very basest, uh, base of our essence. Who we are. And so Paul is saying, don't be unequally yoked. Don't share the same spirit with someone who does not share with you. Right? We share the spirit of Christ. There is a distinction. There is a separation. Now, I want us to understand. Unequally yoked, that is not forbidding associating. Right? It is not forbidding friendships. It's not like how in the world would, can we share the, share the light of Christ, right? If we're not sharing our, our life with Right. Paul, Paul's, Paul's admonition here is don't share your identity. Don't get your identity mixed up with those in the world. Don't get your identity mixed up with those in the world who do not share the same spirit. We share the spirit of Christ, that separateness, that distinction, that consecrating ourselves to God. That, that is a biblical truth. That is a biblical truth. Now, he uses two arguments to kind of bring across his point. Right? Don't be unequally yoked. He gives us two arguments to tell us why that's important. The first argument is the argument by association. Right? 
For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? If we break this down a little bit, what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? That word literally means partnership or shareholder. Kind of think of a law firm. Right, a law firm, you get two or more people together, and they partner together, and they do business together. Right, what fellowship, what partnership, what shareholding does fellowship or does light or righteousness have with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? This word for communion literally means willing participation. Right, light does not willingly participate in darkness. What accord has Christ with Belial? Now, Belial is an old Hebrew word, typically means enemy, but used oftentimes, particularly in Scripture, as Satan. What accord or what alliance does Christ have with Satan? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? You can't really parse that down anymore. What part, what, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? This agreement to associate oneself with. You know, like, I'm with him. Now, Paul uses these comparisons or these contrasts, and they're obvious rhetorical questions, and the obvious answer is, well, no. That doesn't make sense. It wouldn't make sense for righteousness to fellowship with lawlessness, right? It wouldn't make sense for light to share with darkness. It doesn't make, no, of course, Jesus and Satan don't have an alliance. Of Of course not. And so Paul uses these obvious contrasts to tell us, well, just like those things can't coexist, Just so, don't yourself be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Don't associate your identity with those who don't know Christ. The second argument he uses, he uses this argument from association, and then he uses this argument from identity. He says, don't be unequally yoked, for you are the temple of the living God. For you are the temple of the living God. That's who we are. And so Paul says, hey, don't be unequally yoked because you are the temple of the living God. And then he goes into this next section. And how we view this section is centrally important to how we view this passage. There are two ways to see this. As God said, I will dwell in them, walk among them, I will be their God. Come out from among them, don't touch what's unclean, I will be a father to you. There's two ways to, to see this. There is, we could look at this prescriptively. And view what's there in the circle as this is a prescription. You do this to earn something. You do this to get something from God. Or we could look at this as descriptive and saying, hey, this is describing something about who we already are. And that's exactly what this is. This is descriptive. This is Paul saying, hey, you are the temple of God. You are the temple of the living God. And here's what that looks like. You are the temple of the living God. This elaborates on that idea. Now we see this as a description of redemption. What Paul's doing here, go, I'm sorry, go, go back one more. So sorry. What Paul is doing here, he's using Old Testament passages from Ezekiel, from Isaiah, from a couple other passages. And what these passages are doing, they're looking forward to this new covenant that God has promised. And so then Paul uses them here in 2 Corinthians to look back at the new covenant that God has made through Jesus. And this covenant is a covenant of redemption. And we see that in two ways. 
We see this covenant as a deliverance from wickedness. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. Now, if we were to see that as prescriptive, we'd look at that like, okay, come out from among them. Okay, what do I need to do to come out from among them? How do I not touch what is unclean? But when we see this as descriptive, we understand that throughout history, it has been impossible for us as mankind to bring ourselves out and to deliver ourselves. That's the whole point. Well, not the whole point, but a major point of the Old Testament is to prove to us that we cannot do it. We cannot come out and be separate. Try as we might. We cannot do it. And so Jesus came. And Jesus died on the cross. And he rose again and he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he brings us out. It is him who causes this to come true. That's why I say this is descriptive. It is him who causes this. This is redemption in action. God has redeemed us through the blood of Jesus. And part of that redemption is a deliverance from wickedness. Come out from among them and be separate. That is what Jesus has done for us. The word in scripture used to describe his church. If you look in the New Testament, the word used to describe church is the Greek word ekklesia which literally means the called out ones. Our separateness, our distinctness is found in our identity in Jesus. See, the Old Testament people, they wrote this looking forward to a time because they realized we can't do that. Come out from among them and be separate. Well, we tried. Jesus brings us out. This is a description of redemption, but not only in the delivering us from wickedness, but it's also a sign of redemption in a purified people set apart for and to God. We see that in verse 16 and verse 18. I will dwell in them. I love, I love that, the, the way that is phrased there. I will dwell in them. That is, that is something the Old Testament people do not, could not understand. That is a blessing of the new covenant Not only is God with us, not only is God among us in the world, but now because of Jesus and because of his redeeming power, he lives in me. The spirit of God is within me. He works in me. He lives in me. He dwells in me. This this is what redemption has done for us. I will dwell in them and I will walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. This is what redemption has done for us. Not only has redemption drawn us out of bondage, but redemption has drawn us close to Jesus. Not only are we saved from our sins, but I also am saved unto God. Not only am I freed from the shackles of the attitudes and the actions and sins that bound me, but now I am also set apart So God can use me. I'm set apart. I'm distinct. I'm redeemed. This mutual belonging, I will be their God. They will be my people. This is something that God has worked for. God has planned and worked in the world from the very creation of the world. 
That's why he created Adam, right? He created Adam and Eve. He wanted that communion, and that communion was broken. And so history is a tale of how God has worked to restore that communion because he wants a people, and he wants to be their God. That is what redemption has done for us. Now here lies the central theme, the fundamental why behind holiness. I desire holiness not so that I can belong to Jesus. I desire holiness because I do belong to Jesus. I'm not trying to earn his favor. I'm not trying to make myself look good in his eyes. I'm not working hard to try to to impress him. I can't impress him. That's not why I desire holiness. I desire holiness because I do belong to Jesus. I desire holiness because he did buy me. He purchased me with his precious blood. That is why I desire holiness. That's why I want to live a life that is pleasing to him. Because he bought me with his blood. I belong to him. Not not to impress him. No, 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 no. I belong to him already. And that's why I desire holiness. And, and, and so I, I say this, and I, I believe this is what Paul is telling us here. He says, don't be unequally yoked because you are the temple of the living God. He's telling us to walk in our identity. Walk in who you are. Now, l- allow, me to, allow me to take us back. Just in case we forget who we were. And who we are without Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We were all carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and we were all by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is who we are without Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh call the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember, remember who you were. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenant of promise. You had no hope and were without God in this world. You see, before Christ, I want us to grasp who we were. We were without hope. We were lost. We were set in a position of enmity against God. It's not that God just wants to be a part of our life. That's not the gospel. The gospel is we were dead. We were in a place where we were storing up the wrath of God. Every moment, every day, we were depositing in the, in, in, in the wrath of God. And that wrath of God was going to be poured out upon us on the day of his righteous judgment. We were dead in our trespasses. Right? That word trespasses means we, we, we literally, we were incapable of not committing treasonous acts against God. We were dead in not only our trespasses, we were dead in our sins. Our very nature was set against God. Let's have some more. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 19. Their minds, speaking of the, the, the unbelievers, their minds are futile. They are darkened in their understanding. They were alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. 
Have I painted a bleak enough picture of who we were before Christ? But I want to go back and I want to point out, I, I am thankful for the past tense verbs. I am thankful for the past tense verbs. Let's walk through this, right? Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. You were dead. You once walked. We all once lived. We were by nature. Let's walk to Ephesians 2.11. We were at one time. Remember, we were separated from Christ. We had no hope. We were without God. But thank God for the past tense verbs. Because something happens in, ver in the verses preceding these. But God, being rich in mercy... We were dead. We were lost. We were hopeless. We were under the wrath of God. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loves us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And not only did he save us, but he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.13, remember we were dead, but now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, let's continue. Colossians 1, 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, we were doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And so the message that Paul is giving us this morning is walk as who you are, not as who you were. You see, I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was lost, but now I'm found. I will walk as one who is found. That's holiness. That is holiness. Paul says, walk in who you are, not in who you were. Ephesians 4 and 17. Now this is very scripture heavy, but I did that intentionally. Because I want us to get this point. Holiness is important. It is scriptural, but we got to get it right. Yes. Ephesians 4 and 17, it says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the, rest, as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. And that word for futility of their minds, it literally means stupid thinking. And, and, and so that's not a, like a great, it, it is a, they were, we're, we're dead without Christ. We're like We can't even think right. Don't walk like that anymore, Paul says. Ephesians 4.1. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you were called. What is that calling? That calling is salvation. He has saved us. He has redeemed us. Walk like it. That word worthy literally means in a manner consistent with. Walk in a manner consistent with the calling, consistent with the salvation with which you've been saved. Walk in a manner that is worthy. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 5.16, this was the verse I think for probably my second or third sermon I ever preached. Back when I think I was 16 years old, I I uh, say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill or gratify 
the desires of the flesh. My question for you this morning is this. Do living people act like they're dead? No. Should saved people act like they're lost? Do living people act like they're dead? No. Then why should saved people act like they're lost? Why am, gonna, why am I going to live my life trapped by the same things that Jesus saved me from? Why am I going to allow myself to continue to walk with attitudes that are poisonous to the life of Christ inside of me? That's what holiness is. Walk in who you are. That's where, remember at the beginning, right? Holiness is not about my behavior. It's about my nature. This is now my nature. I am Christ's. I am a son or daughter of the living God. He has bought me. He has purchased me. He has loved me. So I am going to walk like it. I'm going to walk in who I am, not in who I was. Paul continues in chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The ESV says bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. He begins this passage in chapter 7. Therefore, since we have these promises, well, what promises is he talking about? Well, it's just what we've said. It's the promise of redemption. It's this promise of identity, that we're not who we were. Because Jesus has redeemed us, Jesus has loved us, Jesus has bought us, Jesus has cleansed us. Now, because of those promises, respond. And Paul gives us two responses to this revelation of who we are. Cleanse yourself and bring holiness to completion or perfect holiness. Now, I want us to understand what we're not doing. When we say cleanse ourself, right? If, if you say cleanse yourself, that's kind of like, wait a second, isn't that Jesus' job? Well, we're not justifying ourselves. Right? Romans 8 tells us that it is God who justifies. So holiness is not about me justifying myself. Neither is holiness about me saving myself. Right? We just read in Ephesians 4. It is God who saves, right? We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, so that no one may boast. Right? So holiness is not about justifying myself. It's not about saving myself, and it's not about sanctifying myself. Right? The Holy Spirit is the one who sanctifies. So what does it mean? Because Paul, Paul, this isn't the only place Paul uses this term, cleanse yourself. We're going to walk through a couple of them here. What is Paul saying when he says, cleanse yourself? Be obedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. And he says, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So that's what we're doing. Holiness is about being obedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Holiness is about surrendering ourselves to the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does a work within us. 
but we have to surrender to it. We have to let him. We have to let him do his work. See, the Holy Spirit convicts and alerts us, and we cleanse ourselves. What this means is when the Holy Spirit convicts us or alerts us, we cease and desist. Or we continue, right? It's taking away, and we'll talk about that here in a second. We, there's this, well, I take away, right? I'm, I'm fleeing from sin, but I'm also putting on righteousness. I'm also allowing the fruit of the Spirit to grow in my life. And he tells us the filthiness of the flesh, to cleanse ourselves of the filthiness of the flesh and filthiness of the Spirit. Now, filthiness of the flesh, that's a little easier to, to, to uh, define, right? Any kind of like outward manifestation of sin. You know, anytime we lie, you know, lying, that's, that's an outward manifestation. You know, stealing, uh, fornicating, like any of these things, these filthiness of the flesh. Paul says, hey, cleanse yourself of it. Stop it. But then he says filthiness of the flesh and spirit. That's a little bit more difficult. Right? Those attitudes of greed. Those attitudes of hatred. Those attitudes of selfishness. That pride that eats away at us. Paul says, cleanse yourself. Cleanse yourself. And here's the thing, guys. We have a role to play in our holiness. We have a role. This is not a passive walk. This is not a passive aspect of our relationship with Jesus. We have an active role to play. 1 Timothy 6 and 11 tells us to do this. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, Faith, love, patience, gentleness. Second Timothy 2 and 4. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Why? So that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Guys, I don't know about you, but I want to please Jesus. I want to please Jesus. I want my life, my lifestyle, my actions, the words that come out of my mouth, the attitude that I exhibit. I want it all to please Jesus. That's holiness. 2 Timothy 2 and 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, and he had just finished a, a, a conversation about vessels of honor and works of the Spirit versus vessels of dishonor, works of the flesh. And so then he says, if you cleanse yourself of the latter, the works of the flesh, those dishonorable vessels, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master. I want to be useful to the master. I want to be useful to the master. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 tells us to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. Don't live as who you were. Don't walk like a lost man because you are not lost. You are saved. This person is corrupt through deceitful desires, but be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We have a role to play in our holiness. He tells us to cleanse ourselves and then he tells us to Bring holiness to completion or perfect holiness. This is a lifelong process. 
We take off the old. We put on the new. We flee the works of the flesh. We pursue righteousness, right? There's the negative aspect and there's the positive aspect. This bring holiness to completion is the positive aspect of holiness. It's a lifelong process. Jonathan, is Jonathan still in here? Yeah. He's going to come up and this is the only time I'll say I'm closing, so. There was a, uh, I was talking with a pastor friend a couple weeks ago, and he shared this story of a boyfriend and a girlfriend. They were living, sleeping together, the whole shebang, and both got saved, but nothing immediately changed at home. They studied the word. They were part of a body, a church. They were part of a discipleship process. They prayed together, but they were still living, sleeping together, that whole deal. Now, one day in their discipleship process, they were confronted with the reality that they were still living in sin. And confronted by this truth, they responded. The boyfriend looked over at the girlfriend and said, we need to make a change. We can't continue living like this. We've, we've, we've seen this truth now. We can't, we can't continue. So that afternoon, they went and to the courthouse and brought themselves under the covenant of marriage. They were confronted by truth. They were convicted by the Holy Spirit. And then this is what cleansing yourself looks like. They realized they had a part to play. They obeyed and stopped. That's what cleansing ourself looks like. It's receiving the word from the Holy Spirit to either, you know, stop that, don't say that, don't do that, change the attitude. Or, hey, you need more love, you need more kindness, you need more gentleness. And it is us responding, yes, Lord. Now, this is a rather embarrassing story, so I'm not quite sure why I'm sharing it. But when I was in high school, my senior year of high school, after, uh, after school one day, we were all waiting around. I was part of the musical, and so we had practice afterwards. So we were all waiting, kind of waiting around in the lobby. And these elementary school kids came out, and you know, they started, I think they were playing tag or something. And one of the kids came over and like, tag, you're it. So, of course, what are you going to do? You join in. Well, my principal <laughs> apparently didn't like it. He came over and put his head on Josh, act your age. <laughs> That's what Paul was telling us here. That's what Paul was telling us here. Act like you're saved. Walk like you're saved. Walk in your identity. Right? You're not who you were. So why walk like it? You don't have the same spirit inside of you, so why are you still talking like it? You have been purchased. You have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And our response... Listen, there's not a whole lot we there's not a whole lot we participate in in the salvation, right? It is a gift. I did not deserve the saving power of Jesus. I did not deserve for him to take the nails and for him to take the lashes on his back. I did not deserve that his blood was spilled on my behalf. And you know what? There's nothing really I can do. It's a work of Christ. He saves me. He transforms me. 
So you know what I can do? I can respond. I can respond with the heart that says, Holy Spirit, teach me how to live. Holy Spirit, teach me how to, how to walk. What does it look like to walk in the light and not the darkness? What does it look like to fellowship with righteousness and not with lawlessness? Holy Spirit, teach me. And then we respond and we obey. There's two aspects here in chapter 7, verse 1, that I want to bring out in closing. And this well, I said it again, didn't I? We understand, hopefully, now the why of holiness. And to kind of bring that all to a nice point, Paul says, therefore, having these promises, beloved. You want to know why I want to live holy? Because he loves me. You want to know why I want my life to look different than those of the world? Because he loves me. You want to know why I want my life to be consecrated for his glory? Because he loves me. And then he gives us the how. How does this happen, right? We understand now why. We're walking not as dead men. We are alive. We walk as beloved children of God. How do we do that? He says, we perfect holiness, or we bring holiness to completion in the fear of God. Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet brings out an incredible, incredible vision that he had. He says that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. And he goes on to describe this incredible scene that he's seeing of God on his throne. The angels surrounding him crying, holy, holy, holy. And what was Isaiah's response? Isaiah's response was to fall on his face and say, woe is me for I am unclean. I am a man of unclean lips. You want to know how holiness happens 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, that is the image of Christ, from one degree of glory to another. So I get the why. I, I why holy because I, I, I want to walk in who I am. But how holy I behold the glory of the Lord. And as I behold his glory, and as I see his face, he changes me. And my desires are transformed and my heart is transformed and who I am is transformed because I am looking on the face of the one who died for me. You want to know how holiness you look at God. You look at Jesus. Behold his glory. Charles Spurgeon says this. He was a great preacher of the 1800s, I believe it was. He said this, I suppose that the nearer we get to heaven, the more conscious we shall be of our imperfections. The more light we get, the more we discover our own darkness. That which is scarcely accounted sin by some men will be a grievous defilement to a tender conscience. It is not that we are greater sinners as we grow older, but that we have a finer sensibility of sin. 
and see that to be sin which we winked at in the days of our ignorance. That's holiness. And that's growth in holiness. It begins not in our behavior, but it begins in our nature. Does it affect our behavior? Absolutely. And this is where it's so kind of complicated. Right? Holiness is going to affect my behavior, but it doesn't start there. Holiness is going to change how I talk and the places that I go and the things that I do and the things that I watch on television. It's going to, but it's doing that because of my nature. It begins in my nature. My nature has been changed and transformed by Christ. And so this morning, here's all I want to leave you with, and here's where I I want us to just to end. Is I want us to pray that God would give us a desire for holiness. This desire that I'm afraid has been lost in the church today. Because, again, that pendulum, right, it swings so far over here and it's right back over here the other way. Well, I think we need to bring it back a little bit and say, no, it's still important. Scripture is too full, too full of passages. It says, hey, watch how you walk. Watch how you talk. Live holy. Be holy. Walk in the Spirit. Don't walk in the flesh. Flesh. It's, it's, too, it's too prevalent through Scripture. So my prayer is that we leave here with a desire for holiness and that we leave here with a desire to behold the glory of the Lord because as we behold the glory of the Lord his glory changes us so can we pray those two things this morning God Lord thank you for your goodness Lord that you saved us you redeemed us you bought us with your precious blood So Jesus, may we respond in the only way that we can, and that is, yes, Lord. Lord, cause us to grow in desiring holiness. Lord, we want to be holy. Lord, we want to be separate. As Paul said, don't be unequally yoked. We we want our lives to be separate and consecrated for your glory and for your use, oh God. So change our desires, transform our desire to holiness, God. And Lord, may we see your glory. Would you tell us as we behold your glory, we're going to be changed. We're going to be transformed into the image of Christ. And so, God, may we wake every day, Lord, with a fresh revelation of who you are. Lord, allow us to see your glory and to be changed by your glory. In Jesus' name.